Welcome back to Adventures in Blockchain. This is the podcast that's all about blockchain development. So I'm Gregory from DAP University, and I've got my co-panelist Bruno on today. So welcome, Bruno. Hi, guys. How are you? Nice having you again again in the, the podcast. Yeah, yeah. So today we're excited to talk about this question, you know, which blockchain is best? So this is a really common question that people have uh, that I've seen when they're, you know, programmers and they're getting into blockchain and they say, I see all these different blockchains out there. Which one should I pick? Right. So we're going to dive into that today. All right. So the short answer to this question, and we're going to unpack this throughout the rest of this episode, is it depends. Right. Just like any other complicated question, it depends. All right. So what does it depend on? So there's lots of different factors. Okay. And I'm going to kind of weigh in on some of my perspective on this. Bruno's going to weigh in on his perspective because we both kind of have a little bit different backgrounds in blockchain. We've, we've each worked with different blockchains. So we're going to have, you know, some different experience to weigh in on this. And um, I'll go ahead and kick us off. Does that work, Bruno? Sure. Sure. Go ahead. Cool. Awesome. So, you know, it depends on what you want to do, right? And it ultimately comes down to the use case. You know, why are you using a blockchain in the first place? And what are you trying to accomplish? So you have to kind of start with that question, right? To start with the end in mind and work your way backwards and pick the right tool for the job. So, you know, what are some other potential uh, tools available? And what do they do? You know, how will they help you, you know, meet your ultimate uh, goal or, or uh, satisfy the use case that you're going after, right? So I'll start with, you know, what I know best, which is, you know, Ethereum, right? Ethereum is uh, a public blockchain. I'll explain that more in a minute, right? It's a very widely used public blockchain. It's got a really active development community. And people are using Ethereum quite a bit uh, to solve business cases right now uh, with public blockchain, okay? And I, I teach Ethereum uh, almost exclusively on my YouTube channel, DAP University, on my website, dappuniversity.com, and inside my blockchain developer bootcamp, right? And there's lots of reasons why, because it's a very versatile uh, blockchain that does a lot of uh, things, right? It supports uh, smart contracts, which are basically programs that run on the blockchain. Um, it has some native cryptocurrency called Ether, uh, which can be bought and sold on cryptocurrency exchanges and used to pay network fees and stuff like that. And it's got, you know, a really active uh, team that's developing Ethereum, improving the protocol and making it uh, a, a real game changer in the long run for this blockchain ecosystem. So, you know, what are some of the types of things uh, that you can do on Ethereum and maybe other blockchains? And we'll kind of talk about those. And we'll also talk about kind of the uh, another part of this equation, which is our uh, uh, private blockchains. So oh, yeah. we, uh, Bruno, just kind of for a minute, explain what that means and how that might be different from a public blockchain. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I just wanted to go back a little bit and say that um, the... The first question that you should ask yourself when you're sort of like dwelling into developing with blockchain and stuff is, does it really, you know, achieve what I want to do? You know, think about, okay, I want to create an app to, I don't know, I want it to be a simple to-do list or something. You know, is it really necessary to have a blockchain behind that app, you know, working with that app to create that app? 
um, you know, it, it really comes down to what are you going to do and what are your goals and like time and resources that you're going to spend on that. And um, one big thing, big difference between public blockchains, like uh, Gregory said, uh, mentioned Ethereum and private blockchains such as Hyperledger, for example, is the control, you know, who's in control of the, the blockchain. Think about any kind of app that you create, you need to host it in a server or, you know, a, a workstation of some sort. And um, in the case of Ethereum, for example, correct me if I'm wrong, Gregory, um, but like whether, whatever um, app that you develop, the business logic of that app that works on blockchain is going to be hosted by Ethereum, right? That's correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in a lot of um, business scenarios, you don't really want that to happen, you know, either by contract or legal stuff or just by being afraid of, you know, giving out sensitive information to public places like that. So you want to be in control of your information. You want to host your own information. And with private blockchains, you can just create the blockchain and host it yourself. You know, you organize the blockchain and you have control, you know, to give permissions and oh, who's going to access this blockchain, who's not going to access it, you know, who's important in this blockchain, who's not. So you give control to that while not letting go of the, um, the great aspect of blockchain, which are security and transparency, you know, so you can have all of that in the private blockchains without going to, uh, uh, you know, hosting everything on a third party. And I think that's the biggest difference on private blockchains. Sure. So let's talk about that a little bit um, on, you know, public versus private blockchains. So, you know, uh, public blockchain, like, you know, Bruno mentioned is uh, basically a blockchain implementation where theoretically anyone could uh, be a node on the network or a user of the network on some kind um, or connect to a node, right? So essentially what that means is, uh, you know, blockchain is a peer-to-peer -peer network. And in a public blockchain, it's a public network, right? And, you know, anyone with access to the blockchain can use it, right? They could uh, store information on it. They could, um, you know, retrieve information from it. They could potentially participate in the mining or, or validating process when new blocks are created on that public blockchain, right? Mm -hmm. And there's, you know, different reasons why you would want to use a public versus a private. You know, Bruno mentioned uh, some, you know, uh, advantages of private blockchains over public. And sometimes it does depend on the use case, right? So I'll talk about some of the uh, use cases for, you know, using something like Ethereum, right? For example. So, you know, Ethereum, like I said, has its own uh, native cryptocurrency called Ether. And it, you know, supports smart contracts that can be, you know, put on the blockchain and basically programs are on the blockchain. And it, what we're seeing a lot these days are, you know, basically blockchain applications or programs or blockchain use cases that have some sort of economic uh, use case, um, as particularly ones where, uh, you know, cryptocurrency is involved, do really well in these types of applications, right? Mm -hmm. Where, you know, it, it, smart contracts are essentially 
work really well with uh, working with financial transactions and working around business logic around these financial transactions that exist on the blockchain in a decentralized way, right? And that's really one of the keys, um, this idea of decentralization um, as a need for some users and maybe uh, not for others, right? And this is usually a sliding scale. Um, so decentralization basically is this idea of uh, trying to uh, take as much control as possible or power as possible away from a central entity, right? And this usually comes with some sort of trade-off, right, in favor of uh, a decentralized structure, right? So if you look at a blockchain network uh, in itself, right, like a blockchain that's just made a bunch of, uh, up of a bunch of computers that all talk to one another, uh, that don't have a central server, right? This is sort of an idea of a decentralized uh, network where, you know, anyone can essentially hook up to this network and participate in it, right? There's no necessarily company that just manages things on um, a, a centralized infrastructure, right? And so a cryptocurrency is a really good example of why you might want to use a decentralized network because you uh, basically would want, um, people that aren't necessarily don't, don't have the power to manipulate the currency to uh, participate in running it essentially. Right. In, in maintaining uh, a copy of who owns uh, a certain amount of cryptocurrency. Right. And that's a really uh, key use case for using a public blockchain because you wouldn't necessarily want uh, a single company or a single, you know, uh, organization of some kind to, you know, say how much money I have in my wallet, right? I'd rather that be a democratic, uh, decentralized um, sort of concept. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah, yeah. If you think about like the, uh, let's talk about like the real world of currencies, you know, like if you think about, say, for example, me and Gregory, uh, we want to create a transaction between ourselves. I want to send ten dollars to to Gregory, um, you know, online, not physically. Um, if I were to do it in the traditional way, I would need a third party, such as a bank, for example, or right. or whatever, um, you know, a, a intermediator that would do that transaction for me, and I would believe them, saying, "Okay, your ten dollars were." Um, like taken from your account and credited into Gregory's account, you know, but if you think about the decentralized way of doing it, it's basically like the um, physical money itself. You know, the 10, you take a $10 bill and I give it to Gregory, you know, it, it doesn't have to go through a third party saying that, you know, my account has been debited or credited or whatever. I just give it to him and everyone around acknowledges that I've given the $10 to him. And now the $10 are Gregory's. It's not mine anymore. You know, it's sort of like the same thing if you think about the, the decentralized way of um, doing those transactions. And that's one of the reasons why it's so, um, so easy to grasp the uh, um, transaction, like financial uh, use case for the blockchain. But um, when you start thinking about keeping records of, of any sort of asset that you want, 
um, say, for example, um, I don't know, like uh, IBM is doing with Food Trust. It's a program that they run uh, where, where you go to a supermarket or something and you're going to buy a pack of carrots, for example. You can see in the packet itself where the carrots are coming from, what was the whole uh, process and history of those carrots. And that is done by the blockchain because the blockchain provides you with the security of information and the transparency, you know, and that kind of use case, you don't really want to take businesses, business information and put it in a public blockchain. You know, there is some information that you want everyone to see, sort of like the where the carrot came from. But there's other information that you don't want to see, like, okay, how much money did farm one, two, three make uh, with those carrots? You know, that's some sort of like private information and only that farm wants to, to know. It doesn't want everyone to know that information, but it's still useful to go through the blockchain because you have a single... <clears throat> excuse me you have a single um like system to deal with everything you know right yeah that makes perfect sense and yeah totally you know so bruno is talking about you know some different kinds of business cases that expose or hide information right and you know we're working on you know similar types of uh, approaches for public blockchains where we're being able to store private data and things like that um so also you know i want to focus on really where the blockchains are right now and what we can do with them in sort of a, a mainstream way you know this is still a very early time and you know a lot of people are trying to iron out concrete implementations for specific use cases. And a lot of people have already actually gotten there. They just haven't been adopted at scale just yet. Um, so one thing, you know, I'll mention stuff is doing really well right now on uh, you know, public blockchain implementations that have their own cryptocurrencies like Ethereum, for example, you know, what are some of the big use cases um, that, uh, People have been widely adopted and widely used already by lots and lots of people. Um, well, one of the first things that Ethereum was really good at was creating tokens, right? So um, a token is a specific type of cryptocurrency. All right. So if you think about if you, if you get on like a website like CoinMarketCap or something like that, and you look at all these different cryptocurrencies on there, um, some of these terms are somewhat hard to define, uh, but you'll see stuff like coin, you'll see token, um, you know, essentially they're both currencies. Um, but generally speaking, people talk about coins as uh, the native cryptocurrencies that are on a blockchain. Right. So Bitcoin is a coin, for example, because it's um, essentially rewarded to originally it was rewarded to miners for maintaining the network. Right. That's why it's called a Bitcoin. Um, and like Ether, for example, the native cryptocurrency on the Ethereum blockchain, some people also just call it Ethereum. Um, that's a technically a, a coin. So you'll see some of these other cryptocurrencies on Ethereum, which are tokens. Okay. And essentially these are cryptocurrencies that are powered by smart contracts on the network. And so why was this such a game changer? Why was this such a big deal? Well, 
when Ethereum created this protocol for uh, tokens, it essentially allowed you to create your own cryptocurrency without creating your own blockchain. Okay. And that's a huge deal because if you were going to create a new coin and create your own blockchain, you would need to create a new network. And essentially, you know, you might be able to fork an existing protocol and tweak it slightly, right. Or make your own improvements or maybe even just copy it completely. Um, but you would still have to convince a lot of people to run the network in order to maintain some sort of security advantage and actually achieve decentralization. Right. You would have to, it's, it's not bad. It's like, you still like not just creating the network, but also maintaining it. And right. Sure that it's secure and, and it's still working. Right. Right. So, so the bottom line is it, there's a lot of over, there's a huge gap to cross if you want to start your own blockchain to create your own cryptocurrency. But like when Ethereum came along and allowed you to create your own cryptocurrency without doing all that with smart contracts, it was, you know, as easy as creating, you know, some code and deploying it to a blockchain. I mean, that's a complete game changer. Right. Um, so it essentially allows you to bootstrap your own cryptocurrency on top of the existing Ethereum network. Um, and so that was, you know, a major use case. And that's one that people are still doing all the time. Uh, huge mainstream adoption for that, I would say. I mean, you know, maybe not mainstream in the sense, I'm using that term loosely, right? Not like your grandma <laughs> is holding Ethereum tokens necessarily, right? But um, there are very, very big use case in the blockchain ecosystem, you know, relatively speaking. Um, and so, you know, we saw a lot of that early on, uh, especially like in 2017 with the big ICO, uh, boom that happened, you know, people realized that they could create their own currencies quickly and raise capital for their projects by issuing these tokens. Right. And you saw a lot of people even bootstrap their own blockchains this way by first issuing tokens on Ethereum and then migrating their currencies to a native uh, currency later on a different blockchain. And, you know, that was proof that uh, there was a really good use case for having code on the blockchain that was public that people could interact with um, where essentially this smart contract acted like a vending machine. You paid, you know, some money into it and it gave you what you expected, which were tokens and they were valuable and you could sell them and make a lot of money. Um, so that was, you know, uh, one of the first big kind of breakthroughs that we saw with this, um, and people are experimenting with this like all the time with other types of financial transactions. You know, we can do escrows, we can do uh, lots of different stuff. People, you know, security tokens are a big thing that are happening in the space right now too. Um, but yeah, that's an example of uh, something that went really well with something like Ethereum uh, in a decentralized way where you wanted lots of people to, you know, maintain this network. And, uh, you know, we saw a lot of acceleration with the ecosystem whenever this happened. I do have a, a sort of like a question though. Sure. Um, like if you think about blockchain, like in a very simple concept, you think about a decentralized database or somewhere to store information, right? Mm -hmm. And um, on the Ethereum, you say that, you know, with the smart contracts and everything, you can basically program your own uh, information into the blockchain. Mm -hmm. But um, you said that there are different types of coins and tokens inside mm -hmm. Ethereum. Is everything one huge network? Or is it like when you create a new coin, for example, you create a little 
uh, piece of your own network inside this bigger network? Sure. So whenever you create a new cryptocurrency on top of Ethereum, um, you know, you're always creating a token, right? So, you know, Ethereum, like I said earlier, has a native cryptocurrency called Ether. That's really its coin at that point. Some people just call this Ethereum. Like if you get on coinmarketcap.com, I think, you know, Ethereum is what they call it. Um, And that's more just like brand recognition. Um, So that's the only native cryptocurrency on Ethereum and you know, that runs on across the in, entire network natively. Like if you download an Ethereum wallet, you're going to, you know, have the ability to store ether out of the box. So mm-hmm. when you create a new token with smart contracts, it still utilizes the entire network. You're not like sharding the network into smaller networks or anything like that. You're not really creating any kind of new blockchain uh, infrastructure necessarily you're basically creating a piece of code that kind of looks like a, 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 like a class-based object-oriented program if you're coming from a different background. Um, that's kind of what a smart contract is. It's like, you know, in, in object-oriented languages, you know, uh, objects and classes are like sort of the basic building blocks of those types of programs. Um, so for programs you know, blockchain programs on Ethereum, you know, smart contracts are the basic building blocks of those types of things. Um, So you basically create this thing that kind of looks like a class that basically says, here's who owns how many tokens, here's how they can transfer them, here's how they can allow other people to transfer them, and uh, here's how many there are total, stuff like that. Basically, all the business logic and uh, sort of like crud actions basically that would uh, determine the behavior uh, of a cryptocurrency are all contained inside that smart contract. Right. Right. But then like when you develop a new coin, for example, um, or tokens, right. Um, Are you like when you create the transactions between your users, so you Mm -hmm. create, I don't know, adventure coin. Mm-hmm. Um, if I transact those adventure coins and I'm, am I transacting like pieces of Ethereum or I'm, am I actually <laughs> transacting my coins? So you're transacting your coins. Um, so let's, let's take your example that you brought up. Like say you created an adventure coin, right? right? And you know, you, you hold some adventure coin and you want to send some to me. All right. So that requires you to actually hold two different currencies in your wallet. You have to have some adventure coin and then you have to have a small amount of ether or Ethereum. So Mm -hmm. essentially what you would do is once you've added adventure coin to your wallet, you would, you know, say send adventure coins to me and then Ethereum is going to require you to pay a little bit of gas and, uh, from Ethereum, its own native cryptocurrency itself in order to make that transaction. Right, right. So it's sort of like, um, well, if you think about it, it's sort of like a tax for using their network or something like that. Yeah, essentially. And right. um, that goes to reward the people who maintain the network, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's sort of the incentive to become a, a miner. So like people that maintain it is like everyone that's using it, right? Yeah. So certain people on the network actually opt into the mining process. Um, not everyone oh. has to. But, the, you know, whenever the transaction is uh, mined, you know, the miner uh, that, you know, actually submitted their proof and was rewarded, that's who gets the, uh, that's who gets the currency that you sent. Right, right. Gotcha. 
Yeah, it, it sounds really interesting the way it works. Um, but like I said, you know, um, I come from a, a private blockchain scenario. And um, to me, it still seems kind of weird, like thinking about a, a big business, for example. Um, you know, you want to do, I don't know, say you want to do all of your transactions, whether everything, you know, your cash flow, you want to put it in a secure place like a blockchain. Um, and it, like, how would you convince a big company like that to put everything, like every kind of record that they have on a public blockchain like that? You know, because like to me, it just seems like kind of like everyone can have access to the, the information of like where money is going to. You know, right. Correct. Right. So, you know, people are trying to figure out people are trying to answer the types of questions about what is essential to put on the blockchain and what is not essential. Mm -hmm. And sort of in this early uh, adoption phase, you know, we're answering those questions and people are finding, you know, good alternatives. You know, like I said, you got, you have to use the right tool for the job. Um, but people are also uh, finding that you can, you know, sort hashed information on the blockchain. You can store, um, different pieces of information and make some compromises on centralization versus decentralization and really just using blockchain for important parts. Now, you know, it may not be the right tool for someone to store a lot of sensitive information on specific blockchains as they exist right now. Right. Mm. Um, and, you know, like we said earlier in the episode, it's like, you have to ask yourself, why do you want to use the blockchain in the first place? What are you trying to accomplish? Right. Um, is it possible? You know, there's lots of questions businesses have to ask for themselves. Mm. And, um, you know, so, so that's something definitely to consider when you're looking at, at the state as it is right now, but there's also no, uh, nothing to say that we won't have really good answers for these things, uh, in the near future. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Like you said, it's like a, an early adoption phase. We're still like figuring out what we should do with blockchain, what we shouldn't. To, uh, put in the, in the, the blockchain. And uh, I think that one big aspect of, you know, whatever app you're creating and to decide if you're going to use the blockchain or not is, you know, you don't have to put everything into a single blockchain either. You can use like part of your app you can do in a private blockchain, part of your app you can do in a public blockchain, and the rest of it you can just use no blockchain at all. You know, it's really up to you what kind of performance and, and stability you want to have uh, right. regarding to which blockchain you're going to use. Yeah, there's always trade-offs. And I, I talk about this a lot on my you know, YouTube channel um, and also just uh, whenever I'm explaining this to people who ask me, right? Like, you know, in, especially among the really early adopters for uh, blockchain, like Ethereum, for example, you know, a strong sentiment in that community is decentralization, right? A very strong sentiment to want to take, you know, put, put, put control in the hands of the people um, and, or put power in the hands of people. Maybe it's better, better, um, 
better way of saying that. So there are some use cases where people want to decentralize as much as possible, even like the assets to the interface, right? Uh, or, you know, you know what I mean? So basically, like if you had a website that was connected to your smart contracts, essentially some people want to try to take the assets that run that website and put them in it, store them in a decentralized way. And there are approaches to doing this. There's something called like the interplanetary file system or something like that. Um, and uh, other ways, some people even say just don't, you know, use user interface basically just be a programmer and you know run your own node and uh transact with smart contracts through a command line interface essentially like there's you know so basically there's going to be very niche hyper niche use cases that can be served in that way but that's one of the trade-offs right you you can you can be 100 percent decentralized or as close to 100 percent as you can possibly be um, but it's, it's always going to serve a hyper niche use case. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, the more people you want to serve, you know, there, some compromises might have to be made where you can still maintain a, a lot of what you want or even most of what you want, but still reach and serve more people. And, you know, uh, one really good example would just be a really fast uh, high performance website <laughs> that uh, people can access, right? That looks nice and converts and all that kind of stuff, um, but still, uh, you know, talks to talks to the blockchain and uses it what, for what it's good for, and lets other tools of the application uh, do what they're good at. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah. Um, changing a little bit of uh, the the conversation, um, like I said, I come from a, a private blockchain um, scenario. And one big thing that I learned across the years that I've worked is that the business world, it, um, it works very differently from, you know, just our regular everyday world. Um, one main thing about the blockchain for business is solving a supply chain problem that we have that is um, like synchronization of assets. So think about a big supply chain, say, for example, I don't know, think about Starbucks, right? Where does it buy the, its coffee from? Who's the supplier? I'm sure they have like plenty of suppliers across uh, the globe. And one big thing that like one big problem that they might have is how to make sure or how to know that, you know, the shipment of a hundred tons of coffee that I got from this supplier actually arrived where it needed to, you know, because we use different systems, we use different applications. My company uses something, your company uses something completely different. How do I synchronize all of that? And at least here in, in Brazil, um, what most big companies do, you know, companies like Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and whatever, what they usually do is use spreadsheets to synchronize all of that. You know, say I sold this amount of this product to this person, to this company, and this company bought this much product from whoever. You know, synchronizing all of that is usually done via spreadsheets. and that's one thing that we could solve with blockchain thinking about hyperledger and you know its scenarios and its use cases um we could put all of those transactions you know say you're selling the coffee 
you could put the transactions of the coffee itself, you know, make the coffee itself a token or an asset. And every transaction that you make, your goal is not to uh, like make the transaction itself, but rather create a history of all the transactions that are being made, you know, and, you know, have all of those records in a clean way and secure way and knowing that you can't uh, change a past transaction, you know, it's immutable data. So I think that's one of the brightest scenarios for private blockchains and where we can use them for, um, you know, the best use case that, uh, that we've come up with so far. And it's a really interesting one, you know, if you think that you can solve all of those things just by using blockchain, you know. Right. Yeah, very cool. So what have been your biggest pain points with these types of implementations? The, the main thing with um, these implementations is always infrastructure. Because if you think about it, like in at least on the Hyperledger way, every company or every member of the blockchain is supposed to have its own infrastructure. Um, so think about like, say, for example, Coca-Cola and Starbucks. Starbucks is supposed to have its own infrastructure and its own people that are dedicated to working with the blockchain. And Coca-Cola, it's supposed to have its own people that are supposed to work with the blockchain to keep it in a true decentralized way. You know, like we don't have to go like put all of those transactions between a, a third party. We can just use Starbucks and Coca-Cola themselves. We don't need a third company, you know, delegating um, the transactions and infrastructure and everything. Um, and that's the biggest um, problem that we have to uh, show the companies today and, you know, solving those infrastructure problems because running a blockchain isn't something cheap, you know, right. you need to have a lot of resources to run the blockchain and make sure it's running efficiently. And um, frameworks like, um, or projects rather, like Hyperledger are working on, you know, making the blockchain, like making a blockchain that's, you know, lighter, it can um, run faster. But um, since there's a lot of pieces involved in a blockchain, and you need to have that security and that transparency, you know, there's a lot of things that you can't live without in a blockchain. And it's really like, expensive to run that, that infrastructure and have the manpower to maintain that infrastructure. But apart from that, today, at least with Hyperledger project, it's really easy to create and develop your own blockchain. You know, you can use uh, IBM's um, services to create your own blockchain. They have a, what they call the IBM blockchain platform, where it's just like an interface online where you just click and you create the nodes and you create the workers for your blockchain, you know, you delegate all the infrastructure yourself. But then, like I said, if you're the one doing that for a large um, network, you're sort of like centralizing the power of who can maintain that network. Ideally, every company needs to have its own uh, infrastructure for that. And 
it's more a, a like a business uh, thing of like how much you're willing to spend to that and how you're going to uh, convince the businesses to work with that. Um, but the technology itself, it doesn't differ like much from Ethereum's uh, smart contract, for example. Um, in, a, in Hyperledger, we call them the, um, crap, I forgot the word, but anyways. Uh, the we chain code? Chain code, yes, That's thank right. you. <laughs> yeah, we do have the chain codes, which are essentially the smart contracts, and it works the same way. You just develop JavaScript and you develop your own applications and that, the business logics and everything, and you deploy that into the, the, the blockchain. It works in a very similar fashion. Um, but the thing is, you have all these permissions and the memberships, you know, each member of the, the network can have a set of permissions, you know, who's willing, like who's allowed to read and write specific data. You know, you can have a member in the blockchain that is only allowed to read something and you can have another member that's only allowed to write something, you know, and that's the main aspect of the private blockchains, at least with uh, Hyperledger, for example. Right. Yeah. I think also a key word being in there permissioned. That's one that you see flying yeah. around a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Cause like you can have different members say, for example, you have a company again with the Starbucks example, you have Starbucks within Starbucks, you have different people that are going to access that blockchain. Say they have a, like, a, I don't know, a floor in their building that has a team with 10 people working with the blockchain, which those people's jobs is to maintain the blockchain side of Starbucks. And within those 10 people, you can have like two administrators, you can have two developers, you know, you can have different, um, different permissions within, within the same member of the blockchain. You know, so it's, it's a very complex permissioned uh, system and it's like you can really have control of who you want to uh, within your company, who you want to access the blockchain or not. But that doesn't like that doesn't change the outcome of the network itself, you know, um, because members of the blockchain, you know, the companies, they're treated as a single node in the blockchain. And within that node, they have multiple nodes inside and everything. Right. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, so, you know, you mentioned some of these big companies. Are these just examples uh, for hypothetical purposes or are these companies that, you know, are actually using these types of technologies? Um, I know that uh, IBM is really focused on the um, on bringing more companies into the blockchain uh, world. Um, I know that Starbucks is doing something with blockchain. I just don't know if it's the coffee, you know, supply chain or whatever. Coca-Cola was just uh, an example, really a hypothetical one. But um, if you want to dig deeper into, you know, which companies are using blockchain for that, you can go to IBM's website or the Hyperledger project, and you can see a lot of the projects that are they are, they are working on with a few different companies. And one big case that we have for blockchain in this business world, or like at least uh, aside from cryptocurrencies, is the city of Dubai. 
you know, um, they have a project for, I think it's 2020 that they're going to launch it or something where they call it the smart city. Um, they're putting a lot of like bureaucracy and, you know, signing contracts and everything like that. They're putting it into a blockchain. They're transforming Dubai to be a blockchain based city. Um, and it's really interesting when you dig into the project and you see what they're doing and what they want to achieve, you know, and it's a big use case for, uh, you know, these permission blockchains. Right. Wow. Yeah. Very cool. Well, Bruno, I think we've done a pretty good job of, uh, you know, covering this topic about, you know, why you might want to use a public blockchain versus a private blockchain, some of the use cases, all that kind of stuff. Uh, before we wrap up, is there anything else you think we should cover? Um, I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, I think this is what we had planned for this, uh, for this episode. And I think that the main message that we should uh, tell our viewers here is that it really depends, really. Like you said in the beginning, the answer is quite simple. It depends on what you're, <laughs> and what you're trying to achieve. Um, but like always try to uh, study, analyze your options before you dig deeper into something. Right. And also, um, you know, this industry is ripe for innovation <laughs> and ripe yeah. uh, for exploration. So if, uh, you know, just because something is presently used one way does not mean that it can't be used another way. And we welcome that kind of uh, mindset here, uh, especially oh, yeah. if you're an experienced programmer. So, uh, you know, if you have, if you have thoughts on how this can be used in a different way than it's currently being used by all means uh have at it <laughs> yeah not not just how we use current blockchains but maybe create a new one you know sure. we talk about ethereum hyperledger we have bitcoin you know but maybe you can create your own blockchain because the concept of blockchain is kind of simple actually you know you can do it with just i've seen people do it with like 200 lines of javascript you know, so maybe you can create your own implementation of blockchain with your own role sets and whatever. And we're, like you said, we need that kind of thing to move this industry forward. Right. Yeah, totally. Awesome. Well, Bruno, I've really enjoyed our chat today. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and close this down. So, you know, if you want to learn more about how to get started with Ethereum, you know, you can definitely check out my website over at dappuniversity.com. You know, my YouTube channel, I've got tons of free tutorials. You join my free training on my website over at dappuniversity.com forward slash bootcamp. Um, and, you know, Bruno, if people have ever have questions for you, is there a place that, you know, they can find you online? Sure, sure. They can find me on my Instagram and my Twitter. Uh, my handles are a little bit long, so I'll just leave them in the, the description. Sure. Um, but yeah, feel free to contact me if you need anything. Awesome. So we'll catch you all in the next episode. And thanks again for listening in to Adventures in Blockchain. I'll see you guys. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.